0: The Deal Room podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have another podcast replay. As we mentioned in our first podcast replay episode, which you can access by checking the show notes below podcast replay is when we share with you one of the most popular and most listened to episodes of the Deal Room podcast. So in today's podcast replay, we have an episode with the fabulous Kerry Bolton, the CEO and founder of the Exit Strategy Group and Nexus Business Coaching. In this episode, we talk to Kerry about her background and how it relates to her position as an exit strategist. We also drill into the elements that she has learned along the way through the various parts of her career, both buying and selling businesses, and now advising business owners in preparing for their exit strategy. So don't go anywhere. Here's our podcast episode replay with Kerry Bolton. Hi, Kerry. Thank you so much for joining us today. I thought maybe we could start off today with you giving our listeners just a little bit of a rundown of what an exit strategist is, because I think for many people, there's confusion in their minds about what an exit strategist for business sales and acquisitions is in comparison to a broker or indeed to business coaches as well
1: sure thanks very much joanna so an exit strategist really is a person who helps facilitate with a business owner and all the team of people that might be around him to help them develop a plan that's going to be able to give them a simple strategy to build a, a business that's transferable so that it has really strong human and structural customer and social capital so that you know very much the future of of the individual and the family and the business is addressed through exit planning and creating value today. So, an exit strategist is the person who facilitates all of that. So, it's it's a great role acting with everyone else's interests at heart and not being in competition with them, but actually working together with them so that you get a really closely knit team that's all going in the same direction.
0: I guess it will be interesting for us to understand what it is in your background, how your background worked and how you ended up in this role that you have now advising as an exit strategist.
1: Sure thing. Well, I'll nip straight to the 1980s, actually, when I had the opportunity as a 30-year-old at the time where I became the first female general manager of a division of Maine Nicholas, which is a Was or still is today a publicly listed company, but it's changed its name. It's now called Maine Farmer, and so the um, the business that I was looking after was called Freight Management International. And back in 1987, the Maine Nicholas decided to sell that business, and it was quite normal, or not. I suppose normal is one expression, but it wasn't uncommon for there to be leveraged buyouts or management buyouts. That was the the name that was given to those opportunities. So, I put up my hand and said, yes, I was interested to buy the business. They did decide at the time that they wanted to sell it off to an international group. And so, I just kept doing what I was doing and looking after the business. And sort of a year later, they came back and said, well, we can't sell it. Are you still interested? So, I said, yes, I am. And I should have said, oh, but the price has changed. But... (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. I behaved as most uh, people with an exciting opportunity would behave. And that is to get really excited about it and move forward and just everything was status quo. So meanwhile, in that time, while the business was just sort of marking time, so to speak, I was actually able to go to a very dear friend and mentor and said, just put the opportunity to him and he said, Kerry, you write the business plan. If you can convince me, I'll help you put the money together. And so, we needed a million dollars at the time and my husband and I had exactly zero. So, (laughs) being, you know, young professionals, if you like. And I suppose the other complication to mention, which perhaps some of our female listeners might appreciate, was that I happened to be seven months pregnant at the time. Oh, wow. What timing. Goodness gracious. Yes, I know. I know, with our first child. So anyway, as they say, you don't know what you don't know. So onward we went. Of course, I... Really, I had no idea how to write that particular plan to go and get investors because when you've come through a corporate environment, those are not the plans that you write, you know. So, as luck would have it, a book was advertised that I was able to send off for and it came out of MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and it was a book called How to Write Plans that Win Dollars. Now, that book arrived a couple of weeks later because those were the days when you cut the coupon out and you sent it off overseas and you waited for it to come. And I read the book from cover to cover and in about 24 hours, and I actually sat down and wrote the plan by the book, which was amazing. And the rest, as they say, is history. I think that the thing that really struck me the most now on reflection is that I learned about having to have an exit strategy from that book back then. It wasn't devoted to having an exit strategy. It was actually saying, well, if you're going to get investors, you've got to actually have an exit plan. You've got to have an exit strategy. So, what are you going to do with the business? So, at the time, when I bought the business, we had 87 staff in five locations around Australia and 120 international agents. So, it wasn't a tiny little business. You know, it had quite a few challenges, not the least of which, of course, was giving birth to my daughter the day I had to sign the contract. So, wow. (laughs) That just added a new dimension. But I do have to say that May Nicholas were very, they were great. They were terrific, very helpful in the whole process. And so, it actually went really smoothly with the changeover. And I decided that what we wanted to do was build a business, making it attractive to an international group and sell it somewhere between the five and the 10-year mark. In today's sort of exposure that we have to shows like Shark Tank, you'll notice time and again, that question comes up. Well, what's your exit plan? How am I going to get my money out? So that's the way you have to look at it. And if you interpret that to yourself as a business owner, you are the biggest investor in your own business. So how are you going to get your money out? And I think that's something that a lot of people just haven't considered. Anyway, if you like to, when I reflect, you know, the business plan, the beginning and the end actually worked out (laughs) exactly as I planned. Everything else, of course, in the middle was up and down, as it always is. You know, you're riding a roller coaster, as you know, in any business at all. Lots of individual stories that we don't have time for now that really created some, you know, fantastic opportunities and challenges.
0: You're in a very unique situation at the age of 30, holding a management role employed by an organisation, now with the opportunity to purchase the business that you're employed by. I'm really interested, how did that process go between being an employee to now owning the company? Was was that a difficult transition for you and for your staff members?
1: I don't know where this came from in my own psyche, other than my uncle had started a business when he was 21 and he was an electrical contractor and consultant. And I used to work in his business as the receptionist when I was 14 years old, you know, so I got an exposure then to actually having your own business and well and truly over the years. But going from being in the corporate big brother environment to being able to be much more agile and being able to really be creative and move quickly, I think was a breath of fresh air for everybody in the business. And, you know, just back in those days, it was, well, Joanna, you probably don't remember, but maybe some of our listeners will. <laughs> Nineteen eighty seven, October, Black Friday on the stock market. And we had things that I when I'm if I'm running a workshop or doing a talk, I mention these things to people because things that you don't necessarily plan for happen. So my Victorian state manager was very tragically killed in a car accident. And that was within three months of having taken over the business. I had, you know, five offices around Australia. So, each one was autonomous. Then towards the end of the late 80s, the economy was rocking. You know, it was fantastic and we were doing extremely well. Then we had the recession we had to have, you know, and on and on it goes. So, being in a private business, it gave us the real opportunity to be a lot more flexible and a lot more responsive and That particular business, which was an international freight forwarding, meant that we were an indicator industry. So if anything was going to happen, we knew about it. Six months ahead of everybody else because of the effect that it had on importing and exporting. We learnt to be very sensitive to those changes. And if anything, one of the best things I would say coming from that corporate environment was that we had a lot of really good disciplines in place, which we kept and maintained in terms of daily reporting. We're a big business. So we were turning over close on 50 million by the time I sold it. So we had to have huge controls in place for cash flow. And a lot of that was money that we had to pay out as well. So, you know, if you have to pay a quarter of a million dollars in customs duty for a client and they they don't pay you when they're meant to, they hold you over for two or three days or something like that, then, you know, you could ha- you could find yourself in a fairly, in a distressed position maybe. You have to have really good controls and, uh, you know, from a financial perspective, all your KPIs, systems and processes. And one of the things that we did go through was to do TQM, Total Quality Management, we were one of the forerunners in the service industry. So we got our TQM accreditation and then later we did the ISO 9002 certification, uh, which was really easy because we'd already done all the other work <laughs> beforehand. And those things stood us in really good stead. So we had all our processes and systems documented. I also have to remind everyone: this was pre-computers on everybody's desks and, pre- and pre-Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> it's hard to remember a time, isn't it? It is <laughs> yes, absolutely it is. I mean, these are in the these are the days of overhead projectors and <laughs> that sort of thing that you were printing. I even can't even remember what they're called now. You know the. Um, those clear sheets that you used to print when you're doing talks and things like that so yeah so all of this was a sort of a very manual process back then but I think those are the things that really stand you in good stead in today's world that you can do so much more easily and so much more readily with all the fabulous tools that we have
0: so you mean that the systems and the processes and the quality controls <laughs>
1: correct all those things so I think yeah, so, so to answer your question, coming out of a corporate environment into a, a private business environment was really exciting and scary all at the same time, but it really gave us the opportunity to keep the good stuff and throw out the burdens, if you like, from being in a, a corporate reporting situation, but gave us the real opportunity to be able to make a mark for ourselves in that business.
0: take a short break. When we come back, Kerry explains the difference between an exit strategy versus that of an exit plan. I know it sounds similar, but they're different and Kerry explains why. She also explains why it's not enough to simply have a strategy. We also drill into some significant statistics around the massive number of businesses that are retiring in the next few years. And finally, we close this episode out by leaving you with some tips on how to properly plan an exit. And that's next. I'm Joanna Oki and you are listening to The Deal Room Podcast, brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Aspect Legal has produced a number of great publications that provide some simple education in preparing businesses for sale and in getting ready to buy. These are particularly relevant if you're a business owner gearing up for a sale, or on the other hand, if you're gearing up for an acquisition. But if you're a business advisor and have clients considering a business sale or purchase, then ebooks like these are also a great way for you to pass on information that's highly useful and relevant to them. At Aspect Legal, we believe that preparation is key. It's true in life and even more so in the MA space. Being prepared will reduce your stress levels, reduce your costs, and even make the process enjoyable as it should be. So be prepared and get the best possible deal. We have two ebooks available for you for free. The first is the top seven legal considerations in preparing for the sale of a business. And then we also have an e-book related to buying a business, a guide to closing the deal. To get a free copy of either of these ebooks, simply head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com or check out the show notes to this episode and find the download link for these free publications. We also offer the option of co-branding. If you'd like to customize these documents, for your clients by having your brand attached to it. Just get in touch with us via our contact section on our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Welcome back. Earlier, we opened this episode by getting to know Kerry. We discussed the nature of the work that she does as an exit strategist, and we also talked about her experience in transitioning from being a general manager to becoming the new owner of the business through a management buyout. Now, let's pick up our conversation with Kerry and explore the difference between an exit strategy versus that of an exit plan. You talked about having the exit strategy or or the exit concept at least somewhat organised before you started as part of your pitch to your investors. Do you feel that having that clarity about what the exit looked like helped in driving the day-to-day of the business? How do you feel it impacted the day-to-day of the business?
1: We were always going to sell the business. So we always had the end game in mind. Not that we actually advertised that to everyone. We didn't. And we certainly didn't advertise it to the staff. It was a confidential aspiration and plan as far as the business was concerned. That just meant that we were always focused on making sure that we created value and improved the value of the business because that was our ultimate aim.
0: In your book, we may as well take the opportunity to mention that you have two great books here that our listeners can potentially get copies of if they're interested, The Uncensored Truth About Exit Strategies and Million Dollar Payday. Where can our listeners get copies of those if they're interested in hearing more from you, Kerry?
1: Yes, sure. They're both available from my website. You could just go to theexitstrategygroup.com.au and you'll find a tab at the top that says books. Both books are complementary. Uh, there's just the postage and handling for the million dollar payday book. But if I send them out uh, together, obviously they'll just come in the same. They'll just come together and its nine ninety five just postage and handling. So no charge for the books themselves.
0: Great. And in that Uncensored Truth about Exit Strategies book, one of the comments that you make in that book is that during this first acquisition and sale that you're talking about, you realise that having an exit strategy wasn't enough. that instead you needed an exit plan. I thought that element was really interesting. I thought perhaps maybe it'd be great if you could run us through what you mean by that. What is the difference?
1: So for me, the difference was, yes, the strategy was that we wanted to sell the business and we had some timing around that. However, our plan, and for me, it didn't really ring true to me until after because there's more to exit than simply the business. And what I said, just some description that I gave earlier about exit planning, combining both the plan and the concept and the effort and the process to build a business that is completely transferable through those other areas of capital that people don't really often think about, meaning, you know, the human side, obviously the money side, but from your client perspective and also from the social perspective because it's not only you and it's not only the business, but it's your family and everyone else that's actually affected. So I found myself after having sold the business that I hadn't even thought about what I was going to do. Everything was just, this is the transaction and we're focused on that. I'd certainly given thought to my staff because one of my uh, absolute non-negotiables was that everyone had a job but me. I was quite happy to move on. I did stay on for two years after the initial deal was done. But then after two years, I got fired. (laughs) <laughs> which I think is hilarious. <laughs> so, But but I honestly thought I was probably only going to stay in for another six months personally anyway, now that I look back at it. But I hadn't actually thought about what was I going to do after I'd left the business anyway. And I found myself at home sort of first week thinking, oh, right, now what am I going to do? And Of course, I had two young children at that point, And I thought, well, it's just not in my makeup to stay at home and look after the children. And I was twiddling my thumbs and thinking, what am I going to do? You know, And I hadn't really given any thought to it. So, that's what a plan does. It actually addresses those issues well beyond simply the business and looking at what else is going to be affected. I must say it's very
0: interesting hearing you talk about your own experiences there, because in my experience, the majority of business owners really don't completely understand what a life looks like without this business, that often they're, you know, is so attached to their self-identity as well, you know, for for all of these years and can be that this dawning comes after the point of sale as, as it did for you. For me, I've also noticed quite a few times that sellers of businesses Come to this realization once they have an offer that they've committed to or that they're about to commit to, you know, and sometimes it's when this emotion comes up about what will my life look like when I don't have this business anymore. And so I think it's a really good point that you make about understanding, you know, having a plan around the whole element, including what you're going to be doing afterwards in order that you're emotionally ready for what can sometimes be a difficult process going through the negotiation process that is inevitably involved when you are selling that business.
1: True, absolutely true. And my husband and I, when we're talking to other people from time to time, I joke about it and I say, well, look, I married you for better or worse, but not for lunch. (laughs) 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 So so here we are 36 years down the track and We're still together. I think that deserves at least a little tick. (laughs) But I do think that that is the difference. And that's what's really important is actually to think about what it is that you're going to do next because you can only do so much in terms of, oh, great. I think you need to decompress. Big tick to that. You really do because usually, you, you know, I find most people have been working maybe, you know, 60, 80 hours a week, but maybe they're not actually working. They're just, they're filling their time. And so, therefore, you've got to think about what it is that you are going to do to fill your time after you've left your business and how that's going to affect your family or anyone anyone else that you're constantly interacting with in your life. So it's about creating purpose for the life after business as well. Here we've particularly focused on one of
0: the many issues for businesses who are looking to sell. What is it that they're going to do after a sale? But indeed, maybe the bigger issue might also be, will they be able to find a buyer? Because your book cite, I think, some fabulous statistics from PwC for example that during the next 10 years, which of course the report was in 2014, so we're actually four years into that decade now, more than 1.4 million owners employing 7.9 million people are expected to retire. And, you know, if we think Australia has a population of uh, around about 24 million, that's a large proportion of the workforce that's exposed to transitioning businesses and owners that are transitioning themselves. I just found that number massive and obviously that means we're expecting a flood is that what you take out of that sort of statistic
1: certainly do that's exactly really that's exactly what's going to happen that's the baby boomer generation that we're talking about here the first baby boomers turned 65 in 2011, the peak is going to be 2028. So, if you look at it that way, that's when the peak will be and there'll be something like, I got these statistics from the the ABS, about 8,000 people a week will be turning 65 in 2028. Now, the business owner element is about 60% of private businesses in Australia are owned by baby boomers. That's what that PWC stat relates to. So the median age, I think now rough uh, from, I had it in in my book, and I think it's now fifty five. The median age of business owners is now fifty five. So there's still a little way to go. So who's going to buy the business? It's not going to be any Gen Ys. I can tell you that now, but it could be millennials. If we start to think about where the opportunities are, so this is a double-edged sword. It's for business owners who want to sell the businesses and it's for anyone else who wants to perhaps buy a business or grow their business through acquisition, which is really why it's important to focus on value that you're creating in the business. What sort of value can you bring to the table? And that also can lead into the type of you know exit that you might be able to make happen for yourself. I just wonder with those
0: statistics, whether one of the elements for the future business sale environment is that businesses, if they're appealing to a different market, to those that are running the same businesses at the moment, potentially they might have to look at ways that they can innovate so that they're attractive to a different market than they are.
1: Absolutely right. Which is why it's really important to have somebody you know, like me, if you like, come in and say, well, let's do a little value assessment on your business. How do you rank? you know, on some, say, key value drivers, and as opposed to coming in and doing a really deep dive financial assessment, even though that's going to be required, in the, you know, it's important. But let's have a look at the other more intangible areas that are involved and where the value is being created in that, because that can give you some really good ways of thinking about who might be interested in your business.
0: I think then this dovetails well into my last question, which is what should business owners be doing in order to properly plan their exits? So what are the key things they should be thinking about now? Obviously, as we've discussed, there could be a flood in the future. So it's about getting themselves ready in advance and perhaps being ready to hit the market before the flood. Ideally, I think that'd probably be a good idea.
1: <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. Interestingly, from the research that personal research that's come as a result of my people who've actually bought the book or ordered the especially the uncensored truth about exit strategies, because in the process, I ask some questions and the research has shown that the biggest hurdle that people face is that they have absolutely no idea what their business is worth. So, that's the biggest one. Then they don't know what they're going to do afterwards. But let's go back. So, the things that I would expect people to do now would be to get a ballpark value assessment, valuation assessment. Get some idea of what you think the business could be worth today. A lot of people will have absolutely inflated ideas of what that might be. And if anybody wants to get an informal assessment, that you can do that through my website as well. Actually, if you go to the exitstrategygroup.com.au, there's a little logo up on the top left-hand side which is uh, Value Builder, and you can go in there, do a very short questionnaire, and that'll throw up a benchmark assessment of value based on businesses in your same industry, which comes from a database of about 30,000 North America, UK, New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa. So, that'd be worth doing. So, get an, at least a valuation assessment. I don't recommend that you have to spend thousands of dollars getting a formal valuation at this stage. That's over the top. Then secondly, when you get that sort of information, then just think about what else might there be in the business that could be perhaps restructured? How transferable is it now? If the business is really reliant on you and or a, perhaps a key employee, or if you really have exposure to very high exposure to one or two major customers or one or two major suppliers, what can we do to mitigate that? Because it's about taking risk out for someone else who might come along. So, there's a couple of things that you could do just you know, right now from the get-go and start you know, putting those sort of planning around mitigating risk and really understanding how valuable the business might be today compared to what you think you need. Well, that's another, that's another area. Have you ever thought about how much money you need for the future? I mean, in terms of if you're currently paying yourself a nice salary and you've got profits coming from the business, you may have already made some other investments that are generating some passive income for you. But how are you going to replace those? So what's your enough is enough number? Work that out as well. So there's a few key points and places to start.
0: Great. Well, look, thank you so much for coming along today, Kerry. I think you've shared some really interesting information and it's great also, I think, to talk about the background that has given you the insight that you're now talking to business owners because, of course, it's one thing to be able to talk about each of these areas. It's another thing to be talking from the perspective of having actually done it yourself and stood in the shoes. And indeed, you didn't leave that business and then give up business business-owning entirely. I understand you've moved on to own and operate many other businesses after that initial business. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I started doing business coaching when I didn't know what I was going to do after I, I had finished in the freight business. And I took myself off to university and did a master's degree in entrepreneurship and innovation as well with my husband, had a real estate agency as well, which we sold in 2007. And yes, I've look, I've done a whole range of other things as well. Great. So look,
0: just recapping, I think some of the highlights of the areas that you've talked about today, first and foremost, you talked about the benefit of thinking about the exit right at the beginning. So right at the time when you bought in, you were forced to think about the exit and that helped drive the way you built and worked with the business until the point that you met your vision of exiting. Secondly, the statistics that we talked about today are really powerful. And you know we hear these statistics a lot in the media, but I think the relevant element of that is what does that mean for us? So many of our listeners are businesses who are maybe building themselves for exit and it will be relevant for them to understand that they might be part of a very large pool of businesses that are selling in the future. And and for our accountants who are listening, you've heard this before, but maybe today's the point where you say, okay, well, maybe out of this, we can take some real action items in which we can assist our clients, get themselves ready for this change that will happen into the future as the baby burners who are owning the bulk of our small businesses are starting to divest themselves of these businesses. And then our tips for businesses out there are to get a ballpark value of your business and Kerry pointed to some free tools that she has on her website at the Exit Strategy Group that can help you get a ballpark value and to think also about how it is that you can make the business more transferable and to understand how much you need for the future in order to work backwards and work out the value that you need to be achieving for your business and then how you're going to ensure that you can pull this value out of the business when it comes to that point of sale. Thank you so much for coming on board, Kerry. Hopefully we can have you back very soon again to tease through some of these issues in further detail.
1: My pleasure indeed. Thank you very much for having me, Joanna.
0: Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed our podcast replay of episode 32 with Kerry Bolton on management buyouts and having an exit plan. For all our listeners who are businesses who may be building up their business for exit, I hope you took a lot away today in relation to understanding that you might be a part of a very large pool of businesses that are selling in the future and understanding the way you need to build your business now for the future exit of your business. And of course for our accountants who are listening, you've heard this before, but maybe today is the point where you say, okay, maybe out of this we can take some real action items in which we can assist our clients get themselves ready for this change that will happen into the future as the baby boomers who are owning the bulk of our small businesses are starting to divest themselves of those businesses. Well, that's it. If you're interested in talking to our lawyers about anything related to this topic, then head over to our website at www.aspectlegal.com.au to book a free 15-minute discussion with our legal team. And of course, in the show notes, you will find a link straight through to Kerry Bolton if you would like to book in a discussion with her about your business or the business of your clients as they build with an eye on their future exit. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. And thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au.